welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hi everybody, this is Anthony Whitaker, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. As I'm recording this, it's coming up to the end of May, and in case you don't know, May has been International Mental Health Awareness Month. Earlier this month, I hosted a room on Clubhouse that we recorded, and the topic was hairdressers and mental health. Now, most people, not just hairdressers, often shy away from discussing mental health openly, as there are still many stigmas attached to it, but I'm fortunate enough to have two wonderful human beings join me on this Clubhouse recording today. They are Nina Kovner from Passion Squared in the United States and Nell Moody, who is a high-profile London-based editorial stylist. And both of them, like many of us, have grappled with their own mental health issues and are sharing their experiences openly today to help create better awareness and understanding of the issues around mental health. It's an important podcast, so I hope you take the time to listen to it, and I hope you enjoy it. First of all, I want to say thanks to everybody uh, who has already joined us. I hope you're all safe and well. Uh, we've got another great topic for you today. It's good to see some familiar faces in the room. Okay, so where are we? Um, I'm Anthony Whitaker. That's where we are. And I'm from Grow My Salon Business. And I want to welcome you all to the room. For those of you I don't know, it's great to have you here. Uh, I'm a hairdresser as well. Uh, I'm a business coach, I'm an author, a podcaster, a seminar presenter, um, an online course creator, and a collaborator with John Paul Mitchell Systems. And uh, this is a regular room that I host every Monday at this time. And uh, just to let you all know that the red circle uh, means that I'm recording this. Now, today, I've titled this event or this room hairdressers and mental mental health. And today on the stage with me, we have got some great insights. We've got some really good personal experience and wisdom from two people in the industry who both talk openly about their personal mental health challenges and how they deal with them. So I feel really you know, humbled, honoured, privileged uh, that they're here with us today. So we've got Nina Kovner from uh, Passion Squared, um, and we have got Neil Moody, who is an editorial stylist. And both of them are, are you know, advocates of good mental health and are, you know, really up for, for talking about mental health issues. Uh, we did have a third person joining us, and that was Tom Chapman from uh, Lions Barber Collective, which is a, a global uh, non-profit. It's based in the UK and, and their whole, um, you know, uh, sort of ethos is to focus on uh, suicide awareness and prevention. Uh, but unfortunately, Tom is unable to join us. Uh, today's a, a public holiday in the UK and uh, he forgot, basically, and, and uh, had promised his wife and kids that he'd spend the time with him. So I fully salute him making that decision and he, he sends his apologies. Okay, so Talking about mental health isn't the fun side of hairdressing, but these days, I think it's more important than, than ever. And when I DM'd uh, Nina and, and I asked her if she'd join us today, she asked me what I hoped to achieve from the session. And after thinking about it for a bit, I, I said to her, 
you know, I wanted to increase awareness. I wanted to to, to make it comfortable for people to talk about that. Um, that. That I wanted some honesty and acceptance of the importance of of talking openly about mental health. Because for me, I think that that normalising it and and the challenges around mental health as much as possible is a really good thing for everyone. And you know, I, I'm lucky. I've got two two daughters at 20 and 22. And I'm really glad to see how Gen Z are so open about discussing mental health issues because especially during COVID, you know, and I read lots of stuff about, you know, predicting the long-term impacts that COVID will have on people. So talking openly about it is always a uh, a great start. And so that, that's really where I want to kick off uh, with this conversation and say that, you know, We've all had days where we felt bad and been, you know, in inverted speech marks here, been depressed. But how do you know the difference between just feeling in a low patch and genuinely being depressed? So uh, I, I want to pass that over to our, our two uh, speakers today. Uh, maybe you want to introduce yourself first, uh, uh, Nina. And, um, you know, answer that question if you feel that's a good place to jump in. How do you know the difference between just feeling a bit low and genuinely being depressed? Sure. Thank you, Anthony. And Neil, it's nice to meet you. You too. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, first of all, I'm Nina Kovner. I have an online coaching business called Passion Squared that actually turned nine years old in March and I forgot to celebrate it and um, for lots of reasons. Maybe I'll talk about that on this in this session. But um, I've been in the beauty industry for over 30 years. I started as a hairdresser like many folks did and very early in my career, I uh, moved into the business side of the business and worked on the distribution side and manufacturing side of the business for 25 years um, and decided in 2009 to um, retire from that world and start my own thing. So um That actually, a big part of that decision was based and founded in mental health. I, I, in 2007, had, you can call it a nervous breakdown. Some folks call it energy breakthroughs, whatever it is. I was not in a good place. And it landed me in an inpatient treatment center for um, 35 days. And um, I think that's when I really, like, learned the difference between real uh, mental illness versus um, just having, like, those seasonal, you know, depression episodes or um, sadness. So, honestly, you know, I am a firm believer. I know our industry is a firm believer in listening to experts and professionals and I am certainly not an expert um, in this field, but I do rely on experts. And I honestly believe that if you are ever feeling like in a dark place, I would always recommend, and I do, I recommend this to our clients. I recommend this to our friends. 
um, I would recommend reaching out to a professional. And that could be through kind of, you know, traditional therapist type situation. It could be speaking to a doctor, even though medical doctors typically aren't the best when it comes to understanding mental illness and mental health. But if it's the only resource you have, it may be a good step. Um, And of course, now we have these online resources. It's very hard to know, you know, um, where people are at. Some people have hereditary uh, mental illness, which is one thing that I have. Um, and some people just go through those, you know, sad moments and those seasonal seasonal slumps. And, you know, Anthony, as you said, um, they're not the same, but they're both very valid and require um, support. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, by the way. So I'm so glad we're doing this. Thank you so much. Thanks for that intro. Um, Neil, what about yourself? I mean, how would you, you know, address that? I mean, introduce yourself first so people know a little bit about you. But, um, you know, what, what what's your experience with this? I mean, I heard you uh, on a on a podcast and I, I, I was really interested in, you know, your journey to, um, you know, what triggered this for you and how you how you deal with it. Mm. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Neil Moody and I am an editorial hairstylist. Um like Nina, I've been in the business for over 30 years and I uh, trained as a hairstylist and worked in a salon for about 10 years until I switched to becoming a freelance editorial stylist, which is now 27 years ago. And funny enough for me, I first experienced mental health issues, not through myself, but actually through my father, who, when I was very young and about 10 years old, had a nervous breakdown and was very ill and uh, tried to kill himself twice. Obviously, at the age of 10, I didn't really understand what was going on. My mother, very um, bless her, tried to protect myself and my sister from a lot of things that were happening with him. But it was um, an interesting journey for me as a young child to see that happening. And I started to experience anxiety myself when I was around 14 and didn't really understand what that was, to be honest with you. Um, I just felt like I was being a bit weird and a bit strange and my friends would be like, oh, you're being a little strange. But again, you know, at 14, didn't totally understand. And then I had little bouts of anxiety throughout my 20s, again, not really understanding what it was. And it wasn't until I hit the age of 30 and by which point I'd made the transition from salon to what they call session work. And at that point, my career had really taken off. I was doing really well. I'd moved to New York and I myself ended up having a breakdown and I couldn't really work out why. But as Nina said, and I think it's a very good decision to make, is that I sought professional help. I, at first, friends contacted me because they, um, I think for me was one of the first diagnoses that I became completely agoraphobic and couldn't actually step outside. And which, of course, meant I couldn't go to work and I didn't actually work for four months but um, I had friends, very good friends, come and see me who said to me, Neil, we think you need to go and see somebody because I just kept saying to them, I, I feel terrible. I feel awful. I don't know what's going on. I don't really want to be here right now. 
Um, and, you know, and they took me to, they actually took me to my doctor. And as Nina said, sometimes a general doctor isn't always the best first port of call, but sometimes it can be the only one that you have when you don't know where else to go. And I was very lucky that my doctor um, put me in touch with some very good people who actually diagnosed what was wrong with me and then put me in touch with the right therapists and various sort of specialists who helped me through this moment in time in my life where everything just sort of fell apart, really. And I think, you know, one of the things for me was I experiencing sadness versus experiencing proper depression and anxiety. I think sadness is I'm a great believer now I'm older that we in 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 human you know in in our lifetime in our lives we have to experience sort of the ups and the downs I don't really think anybody has this sort of constant sort of you know happy life that we all imagine that we hope that we will have but I think the difference is is that moments of sadness can be caused by different things you know they can be caused by grief they can just be caused by somebody upsetting you personally as a friend or a family member and you know but in those moments of sadness you can sort of still continue your everyday life and carry on sort of regardless and work your way through it but I think when depression and anxiety hits it's a different kind of sadness because it's a wave of something that for me came over me and took over my life really and suddenly I couldn't actually perform everyday things I couldn't go to work you know I was struggling to talk to people struggling to talk to anybody I couldn't explain how I was feeling um you know even when I went to the doctors he um you know, sort of said to me, so what's going on? And I think the first thing I said to him was, I don't really know. Um, and so for me, that is where the difference lies. Um, you know, like I say, I think the sadness can happen, and general sadness can happen throughout life through small events, whereas this is something else. And I had to find out what was causing this depression and anxiety, basically. That's that's uh, great. But wow, what a start from both of you. Um you both mentioned hereditary, you know, that mm-hmm. you had a, a family, you know, background of, of this. Is it, and I am completely naive about all this stuff, okay, so I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Uh, is it, um, is that inevitable that, that if you have, you know, a father or mother or whatever that suffered from uh, mental health issues, that, it, that there's an inevitability that it's going to affect you or, or, or not? I would say no, because it's not necessarily that way. I mean, I remember the first thing my psychiatrist said to me when who I went to be analysed by, he said to me, you are not your father, you are just a product of him. And it doesn't necessarily mean to say that you will end up in the same position that he did. He said, but at the same time, you can potentially pick up certain things that he may have. I know people who've had family members who have, you know, been severely ill with mental health and then they've not really suffered in the same way. So I don't think it really stands for everybody. I don't know. What do you think, Nina? Yeah, I mean, I would think it's just like any any genetics, right? Any any type of um, hereditary things. Some people 
pick up on that and and some folks don't. I have mental illness on both sides of my family, um, addiction, suicide, all of those things. Um, I also, you know, just in my experience, it, I, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of really messes with your mind when you begin to do the work. Because, you know, there are times that I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back 20 years and just like be like walk around in like a cloud, like, you know, not being aware of what's going on. Because <laughs> some people have such heavy armor and um, that that they never even realize that they're feeling anything at all, you know. So it doesn't necessarily mean that people don't have issues. It's just we all show up differently because that's just we're individuals, right? Um, I also think that there's situational stuff that happens that triggers, um, that can trigger the illness. And so, um, like, I've been in recovery for depression since like active recovery since 2007. Of course, I've battled this my whole life. I just didn't know it. Um, and that includes, you know, like Neil said, anxiety and panic disorder. And I've been pretty okay up until um, the past couple years. And in the past year, I'm as bad as I was in 2007. So I don't think we're ever, I don't think we're ever going to quite figure out like causes per se and triggers per se. I, I just think that just like with any kind of chronic illness, it's all in how we can live and how we can be treated. Um, I have treatment resistant depression, meaning I can't take medication um, because it doesn't work. And so that's a whole nother, you know, kind of side of things is that people having something, an illness of any kind, but medicine doesn't work. So there's, there's, it, it's just like anything, very layered, very, very individual. And that makes it even more important that we learn more about it, have more compassion, have more empathy. And when we say that we support mental health, that we really understand what we're saying when we say that. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks, Nina. Nina, I know that you worked extremely hard in a high pressure corporate environment for <laughs> many years. I did. <laughs> um, and then you got off the bus, so to speak. I did. Um, is there a correlation between burnout? Can that be the trigger for, for you know, because you both sort of alluded to that you had a breakdown. And, and for those of us who have not been around someone who's been in that situation, we don't necessarily even know what that looks like. But is there a, is, was burnout a trigger is what I'm saying? Yes, right. uh, absolutely. Um, I was a workaholic, something I also inherited from um, my father, actually. And, you know, the, the thing we have to Kind of, let me give some context. Any type of ism, right? Workaholism, alcoholism, any ism is designed as a protection, is designed as a way to cope. And so I got kind of drawn into this workaholism that allowed me to, dis I have disassociative disorder, which basically means that 
um, I can kind of function and live quote unquote two lives, you know, like compartmentalize on like a dangerous level. So I was living quote unquote my best life and working 24 seven, loving, loving every minute of it. However, (laughs) um, eventually that caught up with me and I began to kind of look around and not recognize myself. Um, I felt completely out of body. I um, began doing things that were outside of my integrity and values. My life was completely out of control. Um, I became incredibly depressed and suicidal. And um, thus, you know, why I ended up in inpatient treatment, it was there that I kind of woke up and was like, oh my God, like, I don't think I can like be a workaholic anymore. I don't think I can handle stress anymore. I don't think. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a big part of me deciding to leave my entire career, my life, my friends, you know, um, my financial security, my everything. Um, It took about two years for me to make the final decision because it was such a difficult decision to make. But I absolutely made the right decision because I just can't handle a lot of pressure and stress. Um, It's why I designed Passion Squared the way that I did. It's a very simple business. Um, I designed it online because I really didn't want to travel anymore. All these things I kind of designed for me to try to exist in the world in a way that I could help others. And that's kind of what I did. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, it kind of goes back to different people being able to manage different things. Like I still every now and again, am like, why couldn't I handle it? Like what's wrong with me? You know, that's always something that, that I feel, you know, we have these questions about like, what's wrong with me, you know? And then of course I, (laughs) I, I know how to work through that, but just really just humanizing this and being honest about it. It's like, it's hard. It's hard to realize that I couldn't handle it. And um, even though I handled it really well for 25 years, um, I just couldn't handle it. So yes, long, long answer, but yes. And great question. Thank you. No, good answer. Good answer. Um, uh, Neil, I'm going to, you need to unmute yourself or turn your mic back on. Just tap it. Yeah, cool. You're there. Uh, Mate, how does it show up for you every day? Like, how do you, you know, cope with it? Um, I'm at a little bit of an advantage because I've heard you talk about that before. Um, Mm. So, so do you want to tell us, you know, what, what, what is it? How do you show up with it? How does it show up in your life every day and how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I've explained it in the past to people that I liken it to a bit like a dimmer switch that unfortunately I don't have my fingers on the dial and it sort of turns itself up and down depending on the day, depending on situations. I mean, I think, again, like Nina says, it's a bit circumstantial, you know, as to as and when my anxiety sort of starts exaggerating itself and becoming more apparent. And I think, uh, you know, for me, I mean, one of the things 
that has worked for me, unlike Nina, was medication. And I am still on medication now and more than happy to admit that because it actually, I feel the medication that I'm on keeps me on much more of a level. Um, I'm on a very low dose now compared to what I used to be on a few years ago when things were worse. But I feel that that actually helps me and I remember for a long time I used to fight that with my psychiatrist and my doctor and be like, I don't want to be taking medication. Um, and my psychiatrist actually said to me once, he was like, but Neil, if you had a heart condition and I said to you, take these and the heart condition will stabilize itself, what would you do? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'd probably take them. He said, so why is this any different? He was like, you know, your brain is another organ in your body, like the heart, like the kidneys, like the liver. He said, and sometimes it needs to be treated and looked after in a different way to other people. And actually, that was a very good analysis for me to realize that um, taking this smaller dose of medication would actually keep me on a more, on a sort of probably, I don't want to say normal level because, you know, nobody, everybody has their own normal, really, you know. Um, and I think it's very hard to say what normal is and generalize it. But in, in a way, that's what keeps me on that level of sort of being able to cope. And I still feel things. I still have emotions. You know, I still can get upset over things. I can still be happy. I don't feel numbed by the medication at all. Um, but I think, you know, I what I try and do now is, again, like Nina, with all the work that I've done with therapists and everything else I feel that I've learned to cope with it a lot better um if something if my anxiety started to increase I start to analyze why and what I can actually do to maybe sort of get it to calm down because a lot of it is is calming yourself down in mm. certain situations and you know it's quite easy our brains can run away with themselves really easily and start telling you things that you don't want it to tell you but yeah. you you, I now have learned to actually also talk myself out of what my brain's telling me because we're actually in control of our brain as well. So, you know, and for me, that's how I deal with it now on a daily basis. And, and I think as well, if a certain situation, say, for example, if I'm at work and something is stressing me out at work on a shoot or whatever, I'll just take myself away for five minutes and just remove myself from the situation have a little word with myself and be like, you know what, Neil, it's this, it's that, or this is somebody else's stress that they're putting on you or whatever it is. Mm. And then I'll go back into the room and sort of go back afresh five minutes later. I used to do that when I used to smoke cigarettes, but obviously I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was that was always a good way to have a quick five minute break, but um, <laughs> unfortunately I don't smoke now, but I can, I still allow myself to take those five minutes away if I need to. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, I might be completely out of my depth asking this question, but bear with me. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of pulling the pieces together, what you've said about the hereditary element and stuff, and, and that I've heard, you know, mental health issues sometimes be, or depression in particular, being about a chemical imbalance in the brain. And so what I'm asking you is... When you're on medication, is the medication to replace the chemical that is missing or is the chemical to mask, you know, to flatten, you know, again, that dimmer switch analogy that, that Neil used? It, you know, wh which of the two is it? 
That's an interesting question, actually. I mean, my, again, going back to my psychiatrist, he said to me that I have a chemical imbalance and what the medication does that I'm on is balance that out. Um, but as I said, it doesn't necessarily numb the situation. It yeah. certainly doesn't make anything go away. And I want that I say, you know, that they are having mental health issues and they've been advised to go on medication. I always say that's fine, but I always believe the medication isn't the fix and it doesn't, it's not what fixes the problem. You've got to get to the root of the problem, which is doing work on yourself through therapy, right. you know, different kinds of sort of, um, I don't know, for want of a better word, holistic work. You know, you've got to find the root of the problem. Medication, I think, can mask it because it, what it, especially if you're on like an antidepressant, um, and obviously I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to sort of preach any sort of medical stuff. But what I know is that, is that, you know, most antidepressants, you know, raise your serotonin levels so they sort of make you happier, for want of a better word. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's not actually solving the issue. Um, you've got to find the root of the problem, what is causing it. And yes, some of this can be hereditary and can be um, a chemical imbalance, which is what mine has ended up being. Um, but at the same time, I think there were definitely certain things in my life that triggered my anxiety and my depression to really escalate and become so big. Um, and I needed to deal with those issues in order for it to sort of calm itself back down again. Um, and I think if I hadn't dealt with them, I don't know where I would have been. I never got to the point where I was suicidal, but I definitely felt like I didn't want to be around because I just hated the way that I felt. Yeah. But I would say I didn't, I never had those feelings of, of suicide, um, which unlike my father, he did, you know. And I suppose I consider myself for want of a better word, lucky that that didn't happen to me. But at the same time, it was still severe enough for me to just, I don't know, I just kept thinking, how can I stop this from continuing? And so it was that feeling of, I just don't want to be here. But yeah, I, yeah. It, it's hard to explain because it wasn't a suicidal thought. Okay, yeah, no, got it. Uh, Nina, have you got anything to add to that? Um, I, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the serotonin stuff, I mean, there's a lot of different um, discussions around that and, you know, the, the chemical imbalance and, and all those types of things. Um, but one thing that, that Neil said is, is the trig, the triggers and, and especially in this past year, uh, one of the things, well, two things that have triggered this current episode I'm in right now is um, trauma and um, very complicated grief. And so those are things that um, can be worked on with an, with a professional that may alleviate some of the darkness. Mm -hmm. What I like to look at it as hopelessness versus sadness. I love that Neil was talking about sadness as just kind of what we all experience, and that's true. Yeah. I think that this, this type of depression... Um, this dark depression, it, it's hopelessness, it's lost hope. And I, I truly believe that, I mean, hope is everything, right? Like literally yeah. everything, it helps us stay, you know, it helps us, you know, move forward in life. And, um, and so, 
yeah, there's definitely situations that can trigger stuff. And um, those are, you know, treatable, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. What what role does uh, drugs, uh, illegal drugs um, and alcohol, what, what role do they play in it? Do they make it worse? Are they a trigger in themselves or are they a... Uh, you know, uh, an attempt to, to mask it? Oh, I mean, well, again, everybody's different. Um, in my experience, I mean, yeah, it's a mask. Of course, it's a num-, num. We're numbing. We're numbing. We can numb through anything, though. We can numb through work. We can numb through food, uh, relationships, substances, Netflix binges. You know, it literally can be anything to... Yeah. keep us from feeling because when we feel we it's so incredibly painful and in some cases terrifying um that we just want to find something to make it go away so um in in my experience yeah i mean the, all of those substances can can um mask pain and of course some substances are also depressants themselves yeah can they trigger a, a breakdown? Um, I mean, in in my experience, in my experience, they they can. Yeah. Um, they can certainly amplify it. Um, it, it, it again, everyone's different, yeah. and yeah. I'm not a professional, but but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that like when I was very suicidal in 2007, there was alcohol and substances involved in that. But it, I think it was through that that made me realize how how bad things were, mm. you know, and to get to the root cause, which was this ultimate, um, this this deep, dark depression and all the other things that went along with it. But uh, in in since I've done so much work and do so much work every day in this current episode of darkness that I'm in, I I stay away from substances for that reason. I'm smarter, right? I'm smarter. I'm more aware. I have more experience. And I know that it's very dangerous for me to, um, you know, do anything that's going to make my brain even more dysfunctional than it currently is. Mm -hmm. Um, With that being said, I have... Um, I have been doing some alternative treatment therapy um, with psilocybin, uh, which is uh, a lot of research is going on. I know it's happening in Europe. It's happening in the U.S. Um, There are some studies showing some type of um, hope around using natural medicine like psilocybin in the treatment of depression. Uh, Sadly, it has not worked for me. Um, Again, I have treatment-resistant depression. Um, And so far, that seems to be literally any substance that we attempt to use just doesn't work. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, I'm uh, in in, in the 80s, marijuana didn't have the effect that it has on people today. You often hear today the... the, um, the amount of uh, young, you know, people that are smoking a lot of weed today and the effects that it has on them uh, long-term in terms of seriously turning them into 
um, you know, cop cases because of the strength of it. Um, it it's it's changed completely. So yeah, yeah and, and in and some trigger, cases, in some cases, it's actually helping, right? In some cases, depending on you know dosage and you know yeah. again a person's chemistry, it can actually help folks with anxiety. And, and stuff like that. It's very complicated because our physiologies are all so different. Yeah. And our um, experiences, right? I, I mean, there's just so many variables that go into it. Yeah. I mean, I smoked marijuana in the, you know, the 80s and the 90s. And I thought I was fine. But I think, like you said, Anthony, it's changed. And I mean, you know, now a lot of things are grown chemically rather than naturally, yeah. which I believe is one of the things that's causing a lot more problems in younger people with like psychosis and things like that. Um, I, I mean, I'm, again, I wouldn't profess to be an expert on it, but I've read up about it quite a lot. And it's the chemicals that are being used that are actually causing a lot of the problems. But like Nina said, I think, you know, there are when it's prescribed professionally and correctly without um, chemicals involved, um, it can also have a completely different effect. I mean, a friend of mine at the moment who, funny enough, is going through menopause and has been really suffering badly with um, sort of anxiety and feeling quite depressed, um, she's microdosing um, marijuana. Um, which has been prescribed to her by, you know, a professional. And she said it's really helping. Wow. But, you know, it, which is really, uh, I've not heard of it being used before. I have heard of it being used for regular anxiety depression, but not sort of a menopausal one. But, um, yeah, she told me the other day how it's really helping her. But, again, it's, you know, it's that sort of, microdosing thing versus mm. you know taking things recreationally and taking them to deliberately you know um yeah, yeah. be quote unquote off your face <laughs> yeah um you know well i know that was the original whole thing with lsd wasn't it lsd from my understanding and i'll be corrected um i'm sure gordon will correct me <laughs> i can see gordon <laughs> in the room uh, <laughs> is is that you know wasn't lsd originally being developed as something to help with you know yes administered yeah. in the correct ways yeah lsd mdma psilocybin and, and which is why this is such a hopeful kind of renaissance of um psychedelic therapy uh it, yes <laughs> absolutely um mm. and then it became you know criminalized and of course there's documentaries and books and and movies uh, all about it um my father was Timothy Leary's doctor and Timothy wow. Leary is kind of known as, you know, kind yeah. of the, I don't know, father of grandfather of, you know, that, that psychedelic yeah. um, studies. And, and, and while my father was not obviously ever, he never disclosed his patients. Um, I learned after Timothy died that my father was in fact his physician. And, we had had discussions about that, but this was so, so long ago. My dad has since passed. But um, there is so much hope in the, you know, psychedelic therapy. And, and uh, again, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of whatever works, you know, whether that's medication, whether that's whatever it is, if, yeah. you know, if it, if it helps. Um, but the thing I think that's important in this conversation especially if anyone's listening to this that is going through 
um, going through an episode or has depression or experience with any mental illness, we have to remember that we all are just trying to survive. And so there is, from where I stand, zero judgment and complete support of doing what you need to do to get through the day. Mm. It doesn't mean it's sustainable, obviously. It doesn't mean that it's going to help long term. But my therapist, who I've been working with since 2007, uh, shared something with me. It sounds just so incredibly like simplistic, but but it, it's helped me so many times when I have been in such an incredibly dark, hopeless place. And there was a moment, we, well, when we discovered that that medication didn't work for me, it was around sometime in 2008. And um, I was balled up in a corner in my, in my house in a very bad way. And um, I didn't want to go to the hospital because that's a whole nother, we could do a whole nother clubhouse on that. But there was a reason I didn't want to go to the hospital. And so she said, um, call a friend and have your friend come over. It was a Friday night. It was a Friday afternoon. I'll never forget it. And she said, get some snacks, call a friend, have them come over, get some snacks, stay in bed. And we are going to begin getting you off medication Monday morning. Just stay in bed, watch movies, get some snacks, stay with your friend. And, and you're going to be okay. And it's like, I thought, okay, like I can do that. Like I can get snacks. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can stay in bed. Um, and really just that, you know, that kind of recovery term one day at a time. It really is one day at a time. It really is one moment at a time that um, allows us to take that next step and, you know, yeah. whatever. So, what, what, what role does diet and exercise play in good mental health? Mm. Mm. Um, I would say not, to be honest with you. If you are in a position sort of just mentally in your head to actually get your head around those things, I was encouraged bizarrely for me to take up boxing and I had never boxed in my life I never even watched boxing I actually hated it um I didn't love it as a sport um but one of the things that I was told to do was because uh, or the reason why I was told to do it was because um my therapist who specialized in anxiety said to me Neil your job as a hairstylist you are quite a big guy you know I was just under I'm just under six foot I'm I'm quite big built and she said and you don't do anything physical at all um she said your job you stand up all day but you're not really moving very far and she said and I feel like if you could take up a sport where you're letting out some kind of not anger but just you know like unleashing some kind of strength she said i think it would really help and when she said boxing i mean i laughed at her but i just i said to her okay i'm gonna take it i'm gonna do what you said and you know what and i did and it was one of the best things i ever did at the time because i what was great was was that it was i i felt like with my anxiety i had a lot of sort of 
this sort of kept up energy that was trying to come out but had nowhere to go. And actually, the boxing gave me the chance to do that. And I could just sort of unleash. And especially, I think, um, the anxiety and depression was making me angry because I had it. And so I was actually able to get that anger out too. I've since transferred from boxing to tennis because um, I injured myself, unfortunately, with boxing because you can get quite a lot of injuries. Um, and so now I play tennis. Um, and well, I have I attempt to play tennis and I have tennis lessons. But again, it's a great way for me to release um, like energy and sort of, you know, sort of a bit of bottled up anger maybe from various situations that happen mm. on a day-to-day basis you know just whacking a ball really hard over a net is really yeah. good for me and i can't imagine actually i can imagine because during the first lockdown here in the uk we weren't allowed to obviously do any sport at all and i have to say i really felt a difference in how i was feeling through not being able to go i try and play tennis two or three times a week um, just for an hour, but yeah. it's it really really helps. And to not be able to do that, I could really feel the difference. And I was so desperate to go back and do it again when I did. And in terms of diet, I think for me, definitely the healthier I attempt to eat, the better I feel. Because I think when you start eating unhealthy, you know, if you, it's quite easy to start eating sort of comfort food and fried food and all those things that we love the taste of. They're not necessarily helping you physically. They can make you feel quite sluggish, you know, um, things like heavily sort of sugared foods or just sugar in general is definitely alter your mood. I have quite severe sugar crashes, which I didn't realize I was having. Um, And so I don't have much sugar in my diet now at all. And it does make such a difference. And if I do decide to have some chocolate or whatever, um, I, I almost, it's almost like I have narcolepsy and I need to just immediately sit down and have a sleep. Yeah. Um, so it definitely, I think what you eat makes a big difference. And if you eat those sort of fatty foods, they make you sluggish. Um, I mean, listen, I'm not sitting here preaching saying I eat salad and vegetables every day because I don't. But I, I'm aware <laughs> of what I put in my body a lot more. You know, if I want a burger or whatever, I'll make my own at home and try and have it as, you know, as less fat as possible. You know, it's, I just I've made adjustments um, and I definitely think that helps. Um, it helps you mentally, it helps you physically. And I, for me, they're a little bit combined as well. Okay, thanks for that, Neil. Have you got any input there, Nina? I I do, I do. Uh, There's no question that food and movement affects chemistry, um, especially feel-good, you know, the feel-good brain chemicals. Um, The biggest problem with that is people that are in very deep, dark depressions can barely get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that really kind of horrific advice of just go for a walk. And it's like, well, I actually can barely even get out of bed or dress myself. So I think we have to be careful um, with how, you know, we talk about that because yes, of Mm. course, we know that movement um, increases those happy chemicals, but some people are at a place they can't even move. So there's stuff that comes before that. Mm -hmm. In terms of food, 
There have been lots of studies around the relationship between inflammation and depression. And, and so, yes, um, food, particularly sugar, um, in my experience, can contribute to inflammation and contribute to not creating such a healthy kind of space for your body. Um, what's really weird, though, is that uh, I was on a pretty strong anti-inflammatory eating plan in um, 2019, and um, and that's also when this latest bout of depression started, when I was probably at eating my cleanest. So yes, and also who knows, right? You never know. Okay. Okay. Uh, wow, so many questions. What, what, what are some things, and I know you two are both not the average person like this, okay, that you have really, you know, traveled down a, down a road that is a serious issue. Uh, the average person out there who, you know, doesn't have those challenges but still gets into what they would term in inverted commas a bit of a funk, so to speak, what, what are some practical things that people can do to make themselves feel better? Ooh, that's a tough one because as we've been saying all along, you know, we're all very different and what works for some people doesn't work for others. Yeah. You know, like with like what Nina says about, you know, exercising and things like that. You know, some people can can't get out of bed when they're in the funk. I mean, I when I had my breakdown, as I mentioned, I was agoraphobic and I couldn't step out the door. And the last thing I was doing at that point was even thinking about doing any exercise. And it wasn't until I started to, I'd say, recover a little bit and start to feel better was when exercise was suggested to me. But I think, you know, things like, and, and it, I mean, and it gets bantered around a lot, but sort of um, meditation is a good thing. There's mm. so many apps now on our phones where you can just do and you know you don't have to sit and meditate with you know sort of like in a 70s caftan which i think there's a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that actually sounds awesome to be honest it does, i have to say i quite like the idea of that neither too but you know i i think everybody has a different idea of it i mean i remember you know when my father was ill he was like you nina he didn't respond to medication at all and actually yoga was how he recovered mm. and and you know back in the 70s yoga was just this like crazy hippy dippy thing that everyone was like what the hell's that unless you were a hippie but he was recommended it and it was how he recovered he came off medication because he just he just didn't respond to it at all and i was lucky because i did get introduced to yoga because of my parents and my father so um i don't practice yoga now but i, I do do sort of bits of medicate um meditation but i do them on the app i do 10 minutes here 10 minutes there I'm in a position where I, I can function pretty normally. And if I'm feeling in a bit of a funk, I do go out for a walk. I think um, nature is, for me, is a really good thing. And a friend of mine described it really well once a few years ago. And she said, I just like to feel the wind in my hair. And I was like, that's actually how I feel. I think sometimes if I'm stuck indoors and I'm in a bit of a funk, I just want to get outside, feel the wind in my hair, and just feel, it just makes you feel a bit alive. Yeah. And <laughs> I do realise, obviously, that not everybody can do that when they're in that funk. But you've got to find your thing or try and find your thing that works for you. Um, I think it's very hard to say what that is because everybody's thing can be different. 
Yeah. Uh, Nina, can I ask you this one? Because I know you're big on social media. And, and that's a great thing. Uh, you know, it's a great tool. We're used in the right way, the right people. But it also seems to create lots of challenges for certain yes. people. So uh, ha, what's your take on how does social media make it better or worse? What are some things that you implement around that so that it helps and supports rather than, you know, does the opposite? You read my mind because I was going to say, I think that I don't typically generalize, but I will generalize this. We all need to log off. And I am, of course, a, a huge fan of social. I built our, my entire business around social. Um, however, um, there is a dark side. And it, it can come in, in forms of loss of perspective, sadness, depression, comparison, perfectionism, um, boundary violations, codependency stuff, um, it's just, it, the list goes on and on. And one of the things that we recommend to our clients and community and have for years is taking consistent social breaks, 24 hours in a row, minimum once a week. And, you know, this allows us to just disconnect, decompress, go back to, you know, just reading a book or like, you know, walking in nature or binging a show or whatever, you know, anything that's not connected. And and I would say the same thing about news and and all the things that are are contributing to loss of perspective, misinformation, disinformation, triggering. A lot of things are triggering now um, with people that are in grief or people, you know, that have had whatever, you know, the last year. So yes, social media is awesome. And uh, social media also need, is a tool um, that needs to be, um, that we need to use to connect, engage, empower, and, and all of those, build relationships and all of those things. But that does not mean it's a 24-7 thing. And we only need to look to all of the studies that are available out there talking about the young millennials and Gen Z and their levels of anxiety and depression. And while, yes, it's been, they've been raised in a very different world than we were, you know, than us Gen Xers were. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I just study this enough to know that social media is contributing yeah. is contributing some part to this. And and again, that doesn't mean stay off social. Social's not the bad guy, but it's how we choose to engage with it and, and the amount of time we spend with it, that's where the real um, kind of wake-up call needs to be. Mm. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, Neil, have you got anything to add there on the social context? In terms of social media, I have a love-hate relationship with it myself. Um I, I think, like, I caught the end of what Nina was saying, and I definitely think it has an effect on people. But does, it, people. does it affect you? Does it sort of aggravate or trigger? A little, you know, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah, yeah? yeah it does. Yeah. And when it does that, then I choose to step away. Because yeah. I, um, you know, I can even just sort of, 
I follow people in my industry and, you know, and I can see things going on and it can be as simple as, a, you know, a job that I was up for, but I didn't get and they got it. And then you see it and it's, you know, and you're like, ah, that was mm. a good to be me. You know, it can be the smallest thing like that, which, you know, over the years, I've learned to deal with the fact that I don't get every job that I'm requested for. Um, yeah. And, you know, but it's amazing how just seeing it can trigger it again. And, like I say, I've learned to step away um, a lot more and I actually try not to look too much now at what other people are doing because I I think it can be too influential in terms of your mood, you know, whether it can be a good mood or a bad mood. Because I, I love social media when it makes me laugh and it makes me happy and, you know, or somebody does something very funny. But then on the flip side... You know, it can also be when people are sort of ranting about things and you just sort of disagree with it. Um, I don't rant on social media. I'm, I made a point right from the very early days of it sort of growing that I wasn't going to be one of those people because I also don't think it's good for my personal energy. But yeah, sure. um, you know, to sort of start ranting, I'd, I, I have my feelings on certain things, but I just keep them within myself and my small circle of friends. But um, I also think the ranting can start causing more ranting amongst people. You know, it gets a little bit, you see people arguing between themselves on there, and I'm like, God, you don't even know each other. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and it becomes like this very sort of heated debate. And in that respect... I sometimes think it's very negative. Yeah. Can I um, can I ask you both this? Uh, Tom Chapman, who was going to join us, uh, but unfortunately couldn't today, uh, he was on podcast on my podcast. If anyone wants to listen to it, it's on the uh, Grow My Salon Business podcast. If you just click on my uh, bio, you'll see um, a reference to the podcast there. And he was in the, it was only done, uh, the podcast was released a couple of weeks ago. And he basically heads up this organization called Lions Barber Collective, which is about suicide awareness and prevention. And one of his things that he talks about a lot is the um, opportunity that we have in the hairdressing industry to spot people that are. Uh, in a difficult situation and to ask them if they're okay. So what I'm asking you is this, is that as hairdressers, uh, barbers, you know, beauty therapists, whatever, um, what what are the signs that we should look for in other people and and what are your feelings about addressing that and saying, you know, are you okay and, and, and just being there? Like, like, what are your thoughts about that? Nina, do you want to go first? Sure. I, I, I love the Lions Barber. I thought we'd follow them forever. Um, such an important cause that, of course, we support. Um, yes, yes. There are many ways that we can reach out um, and identify folks that may be struggling. I mean, one thing is, is that question, you know, how, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, in our salon owners coaching program, a school, we do Friday night check-ins. And one of the questions is what are you struggling with that you need a little extra love and support with? Um, there's no question that, that checking in with folks is important. It's sometimes hard to spot folks that are struggling though, because like me, um, I'm good at hiding things and you, 
many folks that are dealing with some really dark stuff typically aren't talking about it. And that makes things a little, a little more tricky. However, if you feel, if you see, if you find people that are pulling away, people that are typically show up for things and don't, people that typically respond to, you know, DMs or respond to texts and then they don't, um, people you normally see active on social and then you don't, um, those are those are some potential signs that you want to check in. Um, I do that. I do that with folks in our community. Um, every now and again, I'll, I'll message someone just because I'm aware. Sadly, we lost two members of our community to suicide this past year. Um, and um, even though I knew they were both struggling and they're folks that I did regularly check in on, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's just the reality of yeah. our world. And it's, it's very, very difficult. But I think that one of the biggest signs is people just slowly disappearing and disconnecting from what we've seen as their own quote unquote normal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. How important is it to say I'm not in a good place? You know, if you're struggling, if you're, you know, as a hairdresser, as a person, doesn't have to be a hairdresser, uh, how important is it to say to people, I mean, especially men, you know, have this thing as a generalisation that men have this thing about, you know, uh, stiff upper lip, you know, put your shoulders back and get on with it sort of thing. Um, And obviously that isn't the cure. Um, So these days, how important is it to do what you two do, which is you openly, honestly uh, talk about it? And if you're a salon owner or someone listening to this and you've got people on your team, you know, how important is it that, that people feel safe about saying to you that, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not good. You know, you can't see it. It's not a broken arm. I'm not in a wheelchair, but there's some problems going on here. Um, Neil, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, do you know, it's interesting because since I opened up about this, which is now about three years ago, when I say opened up, I mean opened up more publicly, um, and I've talked about it on podcasts and things, I have had quite a few other hairdressers contact me saying that they were going through something similar but hadn't dealt with it, and it made me realize when I first decided to do the first ever podcast and talk about the mental health issues that I've had, I did it with the idea that it would help raise awareness. And if it just helped one person, then fantastic. Um, Because I know what it's like to go through it and what it feels like. And it feels very lonely at times, um, like extremely lonely. And I sort of, my intention was to let people know that it doesn't have to be that lonely a journey. And, but when I think about how many people have reached out to me since, I love the fact that it has helped so many people. And it's made me realize how important having that conversation is and, and to be able to reach out to different people. And, like I say, not just hairdressers, just other people in general who've reached out to me and said, oh, you know, I listened to your podcast or I listened to the interview that you did and it was so, you know, great to hear and I got some good advice and, you know, and that kind of thing. And 
that's where you know the awareness is so important for me i funny enough i had a conversation uh with tom from the line bob's collective last week uh we were chatting and i said to him that um years ago my therapist said to me that other hairdressers she always thought hairdressers should be taught um some therapy skills because she said you know we stand we're in a very privileged position where we like beauticians and makeup artists we're in a privileged position where we actually get to touch people you know we touch people's heads we touch their faces normally people will have a barrier around them and nobody's now allowed anywhere near them in the same way mm. and that automatically breaks down barriers between you and that person and does allow them to open up um because it's some kind of tactile thing that happens that seems to make people feel more comfortable with you um but yeah my therapist used to say to me neil i think you guys should be taught some therapy skills because people do open up to you and they do tell you things but she said you know other uh, she said therapists actually have to go and have therapy to offload what they have been listening to all day which i didn't realize happened and i think this is the important thing about having conversations having talks and i and tom was saying to me that he was like you know what neil that's he said that's such an important thing that you know even though we are now learning to um try and find the signs in people and help them he said we do need to be able to go and talk to people about the things that we get told because it's almost like they're offloading on us um but then what do we do with that information ourselves um and funny enough my therapist used to say that she thought that this is why a lot of hairdressers had issues um just generally because they listen to so much stuff but then they actually don't have anywhere to go and offload Mm, um, so it's a re- and it's a really important thing and I, but I think you know that again it's like Tom and I were saying last week that that's another area that sort of needs to be explored really yeah whilst we are great at being able to listen who do we then go and offload onto as well you know because that's what therapists do they have to do that as part of their sort of daily work um they have therapy once a week because obviously they sometimes they might deal with somebody's issues that they don't really have enough knowledge about and they need to talk to somebody who can say oh maybe you should suggest this maybe you should suggest that because obviously as hairdressers and you know we're not necessarily trained to give advice to everybody mm. um i can only give advice based on my own experiences but i know that that's not always the right advice for everybody yeah but i try to be as open as possible with that and sort of say listen that worked for me but there are other avenues there are other things you can explore so that may work better for you um i.e. you know the medication like i said i've got friends who are microdosing using other you know um medications not like the one i'm on not like an antidepressant and it works for them and that's yeah. great yeah. so you know but i think the initial just talking it's all about talking it's all about communication mm. for me yeah nina anything to add on that before we wrap up the room yeah i i i absolutely agree talking about about it it is helpful you know i also believe that healthy boundaries are important in those discussions because mm. not everybody is a safe person no. uh to receive that and, and in some cases talking to certain people can be damaging because they 
don't understand it because they minimize it. I have a very small circle of folks that I'm talking to right now. Um, one of them is on here, <laughs> my best friend, Gordon Miller. Um, mm. But I can count on one hand the people that I'm talking to right now about what's going on with me, really, right? Mm. Um, and and so um, that doesn't mean that I'm being dishonest. That doesn't mean that I'm being inauthentic. It just means that I am very aware of what is safe right now and what does not feel safe right now. So mm. I definitely believe that, yes, talking about it, and I will soon talk about what's going on with me now. It's just not the right time yet, but mm -hmm. um, it's definitely finding those safe people and safe spaces. And I firmly believe, like Neil said, I think our beauty professionals are most definite can be safe spaces, but Neil, I love that you said your therapist has a therapist. My therapist, too, has a therapist. <laughs> and and so while I know in our profession we say we're therapists, it's like, okay, well, yes and no. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I that's one of the reasons that I kind of made mental health uh, and, and, and personal empowerment kind of the nucleus of my company was because I am so passionate about um, – our community getting the help that they need in order to, can, you know, be able to heal and support and be a resource for, for the people that they take care of. So um, it's complicated, just like a lot of stuff, um, but definitely find those safe spaces and safe people to talk to. Cool. Okay. Well, listen, I want to thank the pair of you for your bravery, your courage, your honesty, your vulnerability, you know, to come on to a Clubhouse Room and, and to talk about stuff openly and frankly that a lot of people wouldn't. And, uh, and I know that that must take a lot to do that. So I, I know uh, that a lot of people in the audience will be, that I would be speaking to them, like, that, that to, to, say, to say thank you. Uh, so I want to personally uh, thank you, uh, Nina Kovner uh, from Passion Squared and Neil Moody uh, for, you know, having this conversation, being so open and honest and frank about it. Uh, it's meant a lot to me and I'm sure it's meant a lot to people uh, that are listening to this call. So I wouldn't want you to underestimate that impact uh, that it's had. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, we need to start wrapping up the call. If you don't already, uh, then follow me on Clubhouse. Uh, this call has been recorded uh, and we, we will probably release it at some stage. I'm recording things and don't quite know what I'm going to do with them. But <laughs> 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 we will wait and see. Um, so, uh, yeah, Nina and Neil, thank you so much. This is a regular event. I'm here live every Monday at 4 p.m. Uh, London time, which I think is 11 a.m. Eastern or 8 a.m. Pacific. Uh, don't forget to give us a follow and ring the bell to keep informed whenever we go online. Uh, we're now closing up this room. So uh, I'm Anthony Whitaker. Uh, thank you for being here. And if anyone wants to know more about what we do, uh, then visit us at growmysalonbusiness.com to check out our books and free resources, etc. So uh, until then, guys, have a great rest of the day. Um, and I'll look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks guys. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.